Kassat Podcast Network. Lions and Tigers and Bears MI is brought to you through a collaboration between the Mountain Plains ATTC and Envartech. In episode 17, Paul and Amy discuss an MI-consistent approach in supervision. For episode resources, links to episodes, contact us, and other information, please visit the Lions and Tigers and Bears MI website at mtplainsattc.org forward slash podcast. and Tigers and Bears, MI, an interactive podcast focused on the evidence-based practice of motivational interviewing, a method of communication that guides toward behavior change while honoring autonomy. I'm Amy Shanahan. And I'm Paul Warren. And we've worked together over the past 10 years. We've been facilitating MI learning collaboratives and providing trainings and coaching sessions focused on the adoption and refinement of MI we're also members of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. Join us in this adventure into the forest where we explore and get curious about what lies behind the curtain of MI. Hey, Paul. Hello, Amy. How are you today? Really happy. Okay. I am too. Uh, is uh... <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why am I really happy? Yeah, why are you really happy? <laughs> well, you know, it's the holiday season. And it always makes me a little more joyous. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about two topics that are really passions of mine. So I get all jazzed up. So you're going to have to keep me in the lane, Paul, because I get really excited. <laughs> I'll I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Having an MI consistent approach. So MI is one of my favorite topics Mm -hmm. in supervision, my other favorite topic. Mm -hmm. Both are, of course, as you know, favorites of mine. Mm -hmm. And I am particularly excited about this topic and the combination of these two topics because... Sadly, I think supervision, and let me be clear what I mean by that. I don't mean supervision around the practice of motivational interviewing. I mean supervision as an exchange between a supervisor and a supervisee within the context of social services or human services. So we're not limiting it to simply supervision around the practice of motivational interviewing. Mm. The idea that a supervisor within the frame of human services could intentionally choose to adopt an MI consistent approach to the way they provide supervision to their supervisees feels to me like it would be an extraordinary contribution to the need that providers have for strengths-based, respectful supervision. Mm. And when I was thinking about this recording and coming together with you, 
if you stripped even down the aspects in having an MI consistent approach, to me, it's really good leadership. I would agree with you 100%. And, and with leadership, I also think it's extraordinarily good modeling because if the supervisor is intentionally using an MI consistent approach and interacting with their supervisee that way, the supervisee is likely to then bring that MI consistent approach to conversations that they may having maybe having with their patients or their clients, mm. regardless of whether they're practicing MI or not. Right. That parallel process we talk about in supervision. Yes. Mm. Yes. And again, maybe for our listeners, it might be helpful for us to differentiate or discern between what we mean when we're talking about the use of an MI consistent approach and the practice of motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. Because again, in my mind, those are two very distinct things that work together when one is practicing MI and one can be using an MI consistent approach and not be practicing motivational interviewing. So, yeah. Yeah, it really complements an episode that we did on having an MI consistent approach versus MI practice. So this is just taking it another step into supervision. Yes. And again, I share your passion about supervision, having had the opportunity to work with supervisors uh, and provide training and post-training support for them, that many supervisors end up in their positions, Sadly, with having no training to Mm. actually be in that role, they inherit the role. They're the last person standing, so they get the role. uh, And and sadly, they're put into a position where they're not they're not given the opportunity to focus on and grow specific supervisory skills. I don't know if that's been your experience as well, but I've I've had a lot of folks uh, tell stories about how. All of a sudden, one day they were a colleague with a group of folks, and then the next day they were the supervisor. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that happened with me early on in my career. Oh. I, I think hopefully, like me, some somebody saw something in in other supervisors and said, "Hey, you should be a supervisor." And to your point, I just started supervision only using what I knew from my own experience of being supervised. So another good point around parallel process that I was doing what I was learning, not completely because I also knew what didn't feel right for me. So I tried to find another way. Mm -hmm. So if, if I had a supervisor that was micromanaging me and, you know, really tough, I, I didn't like that approach. So I wouldn't necessarily repeat that approach. Although, It's what some of us learn. And I think to your point, not a lot of training. I was fortunate, lived in New York at the time. So I was able to go to a five-day 
immersive supervision training that was mm -hmm. created by Dr. David Powell at the time. And it was intense and I loved it and I was so passionate about it. And similarly, though, there was not a lot of coaching and supervision thereafter. So whatever I took away from that five day, as we know, drifts as time goes on without support and coaching. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I hear from a lot of folks, a lot of folks that have supervised, a lot of folks that have become supervisors, that that's not the norm, that most have not had explicit supervision training and or coaching, and they're just flying by the seat of their pants, figuring it out based on what they like or what they've learned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and imagine the, the challenge of that for the supervisor, for the supervisee and for the outcome of what then that supervisee carries into the conversation. Right. And again, th th with the client, th this conversation is not going to be sort of uh, a dissection or a recommendation of what quote unquote supervisory training should be. And, and right. super and training for supervisors exists. And if folks can get it by all means, do you know, it. Do it. <laughs> if you can get if you can get it, do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And what we're going to focus on is how a supervisor can choose this am I consistent approach as a way to strengthening the engagement of their supervisee and the partnership between yeah. the supervisor and the supervisee. I was just thinking that if folks are in a supervisory role and haven't gone to a training yet and are looking on the calendar, trying to find a, a supervision training, that's great. And you can also sign on to learn more and more about motivational interviewing. I knew at some point when I became a supervisor that I didn't sign on to the clinical, what I thought were just the clinical training skills trainings, because I was looking for leadership trainings or supervision trainings and mm -hmm. maybe uh, maybe some motivational interviewing courses will help as well because I love that whole thing. The first thing that stands out to me that's so beneficial as a supervisor is number one, engaging with the people that you're having a conversation with and being with them in a way that builds that partnership. And what does that look like? What does it sound like? And that's one of the key aspects of the spirit of MI, as we know, building a partnership with someone. Absolutely. And, you know, Amy, you touched on something that I think is, is important and I want to underline it. One, I think your suggestion that signing on, if you're a supervisor, signing on for additional training about motivational interviewing, in addition to your supervisory training and support is a, is a great thing. And I can really appreciate that in, in, your, in your thinking about your training and your development as a supervisor, you, you weren't drawn to clinical courses because they didn't apply to your role of being a leader. Right. Which again, I think speaks to one of those critical things 
that is a boundary in the supervisory relationship, which is that you are not – the supervisee is not your patient. They are not your client, and supervision with that person is a different exchange or interaction than the exchange and interaction that you would be having with a patient or that – the supervisee would be having with a the patient. There's a there's a boundary around it that keeps the supervisee from becoming your client or your patient. And that that distinction, that nuance, is is a critical component to managing the supervisory partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I jumped. Uh... In in the forefront of my mind, thinking about our beginning when we met early on in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> and Do you I mean re- Pittsburgh? <laughs> yes, Pittsburgh, the forest in Pittsburgh when we yes. started yes. practicing together when we first really met in motivational interviewing. And at that at that training, it was a supervision training. It was the Mia Step training. Mm-hmm. Um and I was not participating. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I was like the project manager. And I I was watching from the sideline and sitting in the room and learning through osmosis and watching people and really wanting to be a part of the training. And it was because of this very thing that we're saying that I didn't sign on to be in it at first. And then when we started to talk and you and I had similar roles that we had less clinical contact and more uh, direct supervision and management in our roles that we had a similar place in, in, in our work at that time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? I think you did. And you know, I, I think the thing that I wouldn't want people to walk away with from this conversation is that we are saying, hey, you should be practicing MI in the supervision you have with your supervisees, because that's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, is that the partnership that sup- the supervisory collaboration can be, can be positively influenced if you consider and adopt an MI consistent approach in that relationship. I'm wondering if we could break it down into some of the aspects. I I have some thoughts and I wonder what, what, what you've been thinking, like what are Mm -hmm. some of the specifics of how it works in having an MI approach and supervision? Certainly. And, And I think being able to, to break that down is critical. And, you know, the first thing that came into my mind was pre-supervision preparation. Mm. The idea that the supervisor has a specific agenda for the supervision. And again, we're talking about supervision and it's probably a blend of administrative management as well as possibly clinical supervision. So Mm -hmm. it could be a blend of that. Whether it's a blend or it's a pure essence of one or the other, one can still adopt an MI consistent approach in that. So the the first piece that came to my mind was pre-supervision agenda development, where the supervisor has an agenda, 
The supervisee is encouraged to develop their own agenda, what they want from the supervisory interaction, what they may need in the conversation. I love that. It's the it's what we talk about as two experts in the room working together. Exactly. And and I was thinking what what pressure it eliminates or not eliminates completely, but <laughs> reduces from the supervisor perspective that I don't have to be everything. I don't have to know everything for this person. And that partnership, the spirit piece is believing that the person in the room with you has a lot in them, has a lot to offer, already knows a lot. Mm-hmm. And I am underscoring in my head, the word curiosity and being curious about what they're bringing to the table in that session where you're sharing your agenda. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that would probably be the next piece of it would be, well, actually I think there's a piece to, to underline before we even go to the next piece. And and I think you said it, this idea that both the supervisor and the supervisee adopt the belief that they are each experts and they are two experts in that conversation together, working together in order to have the best possible outcome for the services, the highest quality of services, and the best service to clients and patients so that there are two experts coming from very different experiences or similar experiences that are both bringing that expertise and that unique point of view into the conversation. And both parties kind of have to uh, adopt that belief. You know, Paul, you highlighted coming together and doing the agenda setting. And you also highlighted two experts coming together and having a conversation about where they want to go and what they want to do. And I think, you know, it, it underscores an important aspect of supervision. Oh, I know what else you you were saying that that's what I was thinking of is clinical versus administration. That's the point I was going to make about mm-hmm. bringing that up because to me, it, it helped me put those two buckets in my mind of having a conversation with maybe a new newer supervisee and being able to share an agenda setting around what does this person already know? Are they new to the organization? Are they just being oriented? Do they know about the documentation expectations? All those administrative things, like you said, and we could have this collaborative conversation where it doesn't feel like a task-driven um, micromanagement conversation. It's more about exploring what you already know, what do you understand, and I'm going to help you navigate our policies and procedures on one side. And on the other side, then, what are your clinical strengths? What do you bring to the table? What's your theor- theoretical background? What's your What's your passion? And one thing that I would add that fits in both, I think, is I had one leader in my career. I can only remember one. And I think it fits in this beginning phase of engaging a person and being curious that they asked me, what were my career aspirations? What did I, where did I see myself going? 
And I was really shocked by that question because no other supervisor or leader ever asked me that question. And I thought, what a, what an engaging question. And it helped me think, and it started our conversations that continued about what I wanted to develop as a clinician. And, you know, just wanted to share that, that example um, about being, cause it ties into me in my mind, being curious and having that first engaging conversation about our partnership, about both aspects of the job. Mm -hmm. And it fits perfectly into one of the primary goals of supervision, which often doesn't get focused on a lot is professional development. Right. Because if you engage somebody using an open-ended question in the conversation about where they might want to be, or where they might want to go in regard to this. And it, and it requires a supervisor with a lot of confidence to be able to invite a supervisee to muse on that topic. Because the supervisee might say something like, well, you know, maybe in 10 years, I'd like your job. <laughs> and, and to not feel threatened by that. Sure. But what a wonderful way to engage somebody to try and understand what they value and what they see as their future goal. I I think the other thing that you alluded to, but you didn't really, you didn't sort of name it outright, but you alluded to it when you were talking about sort of the supervisor and the supervisee collaboratively kind of coming up with this agenda is this idea that um, where they're going to go together is going to be mutually agreed upon? Right. That that they've that the fact that they've discussed the agenda, they have agreed to go in a particular direction for that conversation together. And that doesn't mean that the supervisor doesn't have their agenda. That doesn't mean that the supervised Z doesn't have their agenda, but they collaboratively identify the agenda for that conversation. And again, keeping in mind that those other things that maybe aren't covered in this conversation will get covered later down the road at some point. Right. And I think you're leading into another point about how we can use some aspects of MI approach in our structured conversations as we go along. And one thing, if I could share, that seems to be fitting as a general structure, maybe not exclusive or maybe not for everyone, is the elicit, provide, elicit, or ask, tell, ask structure mm -hmm. that could be the frame of how you build the cadence an expectation of how the conversation is going to flow, hopefully each time you meet and, you know, hopefully routinely that meeting is happening where you can explore with the person first, what's going on with you this week or this month or what's on mm -hmm. your agenda? How has it been going? So that's the illicit part, the ask first. And then maybe you have something to offer and you want to provide something or offer pieces of your agenda as the supervisor mm -hmm. and then end with the ask again, the, you know, now, where do we go from here? What do you think about wh where we've been and where we're going? Right. So it's a nice frame to mm -hmm. be curious about them first, offer your, offer your agenda and your pieces, and then ask them again. 
Agreed. And it's it's a structure that can also be very effectively used to build partnership when the supervisor has the desire to give, let's say, some sort of feedback. Mm. And I'll give an example. Great. Let's say I was Amy's supervisee and she observed a conversation, an intake that I had with a particular client. And the one thing that she noticed is that I was not really attending to the client's affect, the feeling that they expressed as they were answering questions. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of going on to the next question. So so my conversation was really in service of my information collection as opposed to engaging with the client, let's say. And let's say Amy wanted to give me feedback on that. She could use the elicit, provide elicit strategy by saying to me something to the effect of, you know, Paul, I had the opportunity to um, – observe the intake that you conducted the other day. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what that was like for you, what, how you thought it went, what was going mm-hmm. on for you. And I might say whatever I said. Yeah, I had to ask a lot of questions. I, I was getting a little worried that you know the client was going to take the conversation off into tangents or whatever. But I felt like I felt pretty good about it because I got all the questions asked, but the client seemed upset at the end. I don't know. So I could say all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then Amy, as my supervisor, might summarize and reflect some of that back to me and then might say, you know, I have some feedback that I'd like to share with you in regard to that. What I observed, would it be OK if I shared that with you? The P part, the provide, right. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I would I would say, yeah, that would be helpful. Um, you know, I'd be interested in what your perspective might be. And she might say something like, well, you know, I noticed that the client um, seemed to get emotional at several points and that you were feeling a lot of pressure about completing the intake questions. What was your take on that? What was your thought about that? Which would then be the second illicit because she's provided the feedback. She's asked for my reaction, my thought about it. And again, it would allow us to have a conversation about what she observed, what I experienced, and then collaboratively, we might be able to come up with next steps about how to proceed during the next intake or during the next conversation with this particular client. And and I, I don't I don't want anyone to think that Amy and I are discussing this concept of an MI consistent approach outside of the realities mm-hmm. of of conversations between supervisors and supervisees. They're not always easy. This approach can help them be more positive, more strengths-based, more collaborative, and possibly more solution-focused in terms of coming up as two experts with a solution that is actually going to move and enhance the work that's being done. I love that example. It We generally framed it as we, you could use the EPE as your 
framing of your general conversation of your supervision session, and you're using it as an example to a specific situation. Mm-hmm. And when you were sharing the example, I was thinking of all the different kinds of examples. Someone's just doing a group and you wanted to give feedback or you saw them uh, interact maybe unprofessionally in the hallway. And and how do you explore that conversation? And I remember I, I heard somebody in the hallway say something not so appropriate to another uh, another staff member and I didn't want to let it go. Um, and I was thinking, gosh, I wish I knew the EPE thing. <laughs> the ask, tell, ask, or the elicit, provide, elicit then, because I think I got pretty directive at that time. And, and I'm not saying that that's, there's not a place in time for that. So we're not here to split hairs about, like you said, supervision and what we do administratively versus clinically and how am I, having an MI a consistent approach could help. And I think in that situation, it would have helped me because I could have said, Let's say you're the gentleman, Paul, if you don't mind. I could have said, hey, Paul, can we have a few minutes? I, I, I'd like to share an observation. Can can we sit in my office for a few minutes? Um, and hopefully you say yes. Usually that happens, especially as the supervisee. You know, I observed you talking to, you know, Ralph, and um, I heard the exchange, and I, I wasn't really paying attention to the whole exchange, and I was just wondering um, if I could give you a piece of uh, uh, information that I observed that I took a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? Ask your permission and tell you that, Mm -hmm. you know, what you said was in the hallway and other people could hear, I heard it. And this is what I heard. And it sounded to me unprofessional and disrespectful. Mm -hmm. What do you think about what I'm, what I'm telling you right now? All right. And then, get your, your input on it, because then you could at least frame it to the point of, well, what, I, what I'd like to offer up is a suggestion that if you're going to have that type of conversation, you probably need to do it behind closed doors, right? So that you could use it as a way to give a directive mm-hmm. in a collaborative partnership way, because we all know that there's times in supervision where we have to be clear. Mm-hmm. I can also imagine in that same conversation with Ralph that <laughs> you that you could have said something to the effect of, and this is again where I think the collaboration comes in, where you could have said something like, you know, I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are about, you know, I happen to overhear the conversation, but what you might think of if other people heard the conversation right. as well and what they might assume about you and, and letting the person respond to that or whatever. And then also asking them, you know, if, if you were going to make this communication, what might be the best place and way to actually do it by inviting the person? Yeah. It's a very different approach than, you know, something I saw you do something. It was wrong. Don't do it again. (laughs) It's it's very different because it's saying to the person, hey, you're a valuable resource. Yeah. You're an expert. I'm an expert. I'm invested in helping you be as effective as you can possibly be in what you do. And I want to know what your thought is about how you can succeed or how you can be successful going forward with this particular situation or other things. And I'll just throw out one other thing, which is that I 
I see this approach and I've used this approach with administrative issues as well. And the classic one is about completing documentation. Mm -hmm. Having an MI consistent approach and a partnership in supervision around that kind of issue can be invaluable because you can often find out what the barriers are to somebody being able to do something. And it's often not because they're lazy or just it, bad it, people. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it I, I can't say I I'm trying to recall if I've ever come to that conclusion. I yes. don't think I have. I don't think I have, but um, <laughs> it, it, it's usually because there's, so if I can, be curious about it. If I can keep in my mind, hey, this is a valuable person and their expertise is of worth and and let me invite them to become part of the solution for fixing this. I really love that, Paul. Um, I certainly was unveiling a, a story that I didn't have the opportunity of using Ask Tell Ask. And I loved how you even added more curiosity to, you know, what would it look like for you? What did you think about it? Just really that whole notion of curiosity throughout the whole piece. That and, and also collaborative next steps forward. Right. Because that's one of the great benefits of an MI consistent approach is that the conclusion of that supervisory discussion, conversation, I like to think of it as a supervisory conversation. The, the conclusion of that is how shall, how shall this go forward? What, what do you think you'll do next? And being concrete together about that. And what are you contributing to that? As opposed to it's all on the supervisor to be able to say, well, you know, you have to do 25 push-ups and a couple of chin-ups and then you'll, be, you know, it, it, it really is like, what do you think, how can we work together to best move forward? Well, and, and I don't want to put any flies in the ointment here, but <laughs> at the same time, I can imagine just like me in my own experience in this situation and, and having heard stuff from folks what would you do if their approach wasn't up to what the expectation was? And I actually have an, a real example of a person who um, understood the policies about getting notes done and pretty much said, I think the policy is ridiculous. I can't do it in that time frame. And I think that I should have till the end of the week to get my notes done. So if you have some, nice tricks or not tricks, but some consistent approach from MI perspective, how you might handle that conversation if someone gets stuck. You know, I'm glad you're bringing this to the table. Uh, and it's, it's odd because I don't know if I would frame it so much as getting stuck. And I really very much value that you're you're putting this on the table, Amy, because I don't have a concrete, simple answer. There isn't one. Yeah. But I appreciate that you're bringing it to the table because people often equate 
the practice of motivational interviewing, and we're not talking about that because we're talking about am I consistent approach, but they often equate the practice of motivational interviewing is just being nice to the client. Yes. And that it's it's just all about being nice and whipped cream and cherries. And it's <laughs> all, you know, it's all very Pollyanna in the sky kind of. And the fact is, is that the work that we do when we're practicing MI and the work that we do when we're engage choosing to engage in MI consistent, bringing an MI consistent approach to supervision, sometimes the conversations are hard. Sometimes they are difficult conversations. Of course. And and because it's a difficult conversation does not mean that we may not have to stick to particular parameters or guidelines or consequences. And we can still give somebody the respect of being curious trying to understand it from their perspective and letting them know that these are the options and which direction do they want to go in because what they're asking for may not be possible. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you put that on the table because I don't want people to think that we're just talking about that the supervisory conversation is only for the fluffy light and flowery stuff. That's <laughs> that that is not the case. Yeah. Sometimes these conversations are hard and adopting this MI consistent approach can actually still keep them strengths based, right? Respectful and productive, and that doesn't mean that there are consequences. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of offering up someone the two pieces of, you know, these aren't the greatest choices that I have in front of me and these these are the choices. So in that example that I put on the table is, well, at this time, the policy is this. And if you don't complete the notes in this time frame or within the policy, these things might happen, right? Whatever I mean, it sounds threatening. And at the same time, it's the choice. If you're going to choose to wait till Friday to get your notes done, uh, you're also going to risk this particular thing because that's just the way the policy is right now. I appreciate your feedback. <laughs> yeah. And one would have to, I wouldn't say I appreciated the feedback unless I actually did. <laughs> and, and right, and, right, 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 right. And, and the other piece of it too is that, you know, um sometimes uh being able to empathize you know it, it it's really frustrating this right. is this is that sometimes can be very uh effective in the conversation as well and it doesn't mean that we still don't have to keep to boundaries and barriers right it, I love that it's not all about the fluff and flowers and <laughs> the fun sugary stuff. What other things do you think about that would be really nice pearls of MI consistent approach and supervision? Well, I don't know if this is a pearl so much as much as it's as the supervisor in order to truly be a collaborative partner, 
does require a certain degree of vulnerability. Mm. And sometimes uh, a transparency or use of self that uh, that that really is about not presenting yourself, quote unquote, as an expert. And for for some folks, that may be challenging because they they may, uh, have great investment or have worked very hard uh, for the title of supervisor. And again, an MI consistent approach is really asking you to acknowledge, yes, that is your role and your title, and you are a fellow expert working with another fellow expert. And you're collaboratively attempting to go forward together to do the work. And that may mean that there are times when it is appropriate. And you've you've done this many times. You've said on on during this podcast, Amy, you've you've talked about times where, you know, I I was working in this particular direction. And in hindsight, I realized, you know, that was not uh, the most effective way to go. Mm-hmm. And, and through that sharing, through that vulnerability, uh, I could imagine how effective that could be in a supervisory partnership. Sure. And and you mentioned genuineness. And I, I love that you highlighted, you know, don't say I appreciated your comment if you didn't mean it. And I think that that's the transparency piece. Yeah. Don't say it just to make it feel good. Right. And I think even as I was playing that out in my head, I, and I would wonder if other listeners feel the same way or other supervisors or you, Paul, feel uncomfortable sometimes giving people the hard message that you have to get your notes done on time and then want to soften it up because it just feels a little uncomfortable. Right. So sharing that vulnerability um, as well and, and being direct and transparent that, you know, I was also thinking about the vulnerability from the perspective of a supervisor always often thinking they have to have all the answers or have to, mm-hmm. Uh, know everything and what pressure that is. Uh, and you don't. And being vulnerable is being able to collaborate in that partnership and uh, be transparent and let them know you don't know everything and how can we get this information or whatever it is, right? If mm-hmm. if I were with a supervisor that doesn't know MI and I want to have an MI coach, hopefully the supervisor would help me find that resource or talk about that resource. Mm-hmm. And be vulnerable enough to say, you know, I, I don't have that background. I don't have that skill. And let's mm. see if we can find somebody or what are you thinking already? So having um, having that comfortability and that confidence, I think you said earlier, having some confidence to be able to be vulnerable and say, I don't know everything. I'm not expected to know everything really mm. relieves some of the pressure in that relationship too. Yeah. You know, you you caused me to flash back as you were saying that, Amy, to probably one of the finest supervisors I ever had. And this was while I was in graduate school at Hunter College School of Social Work. I had the great privilege of working with a supervisor named Marianne Kenny. And I admired her tremendously 
before I got to work with her as a supervisee. And I, I was studying group work and she and I were co-facilitating a group together. And I felt wildly inadequate, mm. uh, especially co-facilitating with her. And I will never forget, she was an extraordinary supervisor on so many levels, but I will never forget we were in the group, a situation occurred, and she and I both fell into the same kind of counter-transferential trap. Mm. Within, and one of the greatest sort of supervisory exchanges we had is we processed that phenomena that we both experienced because of the intensity of what was going on in the group and her vulnerability around that, you know, here she was a seasoned clinician who had been doing this work for multiple, 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 multiple years. And she was acknowledging I'm a human being just like you. And I had the same experience that you did. And, yeah. and this is what we can do going forward. And I have to tell you that kind of uh, leadership and vulnerability really helped me to have a much deeper understanding of what appropriate use of self is and what a great example of supervision actually could be. I love that example. Well, you're you're looking up to this person. She's a role model to you. And she was able to be vulnerable. She was able to use her own experience, not even having to necessarily tell you all that it is, but to reflect back on the practice to say, hey, you know, we're all human. We get in our own way sometimes. I really love that mm -hmm. notion. And, and it reminds me of being a reflective practitioner, thinking back on your experience and thinking about what ways we could have done something differently is, has always been a way that I've learned and processed how I've led people or supervised people. And mm -hmm. hopefully folks would consider some of these things and reflect back. Like if I had this ask, tell, ask, or this open, curious mind and asked evocative questions and reflected back and, and shared my empathy and compassion in this space, even if it's not a nice conversation. Yeah. And, and you know, what I would throw out maybe as a way for us to conclude this particular episode is that if you're a supervisor and you're using an MI consistent approach already, you recognize after hearing this podcast, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing, you know, <laughs> write in and let us know. Or if you're somebody who is considering, hey, that, that might help in my supervision, maybe if I adopt that approach, or if you feel, you know, no way, no how, this is contrary to effective supervision, we'd be welcome to hear any of your thoughts and any of your reactions to the idea of incorporating an MI consistent approach within the frame of any kind of supervision you're doing. And we'd love to hear about that and maybe be able to talk about it in greater detail in the future. So Amy, I, I can't thank you enough for your excitement around this particular <laughs> topic and, and, and the fact that we've been able to bring this to one of our episodes to explore it together. 
I could keep going and going, as you know, Paul, uh, on this and other topics, but this one for sure. So hopefully folks will write in. Maybe they'll give us some scenarios that they'd like us to play around with, and we could do some role plays and other conversations around supervision using an MI consistent approach. This has been awfully fun, Paul. And I always, as always, learn so much from you. Well, thank you, Amy. The feeling is mutual and I'll look forward to our next episode. Me too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode 17 of Lions and Tigers and Bears MI. In episode 18, Paul and Amy invited MI provider to participate on the podcast. Cassette Podcast Network. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassatt Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcasts, information, and resources, visit cassatt.org.